KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne, your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM. Community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the concert hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Hello and welcome to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm Kathleen Mowry. And tonight on the show, we've got author Jason Sway. Jason, thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always great to bring on someone from the arts, especially someone from Arkansas. You know, fairly close. Harrison, right? Yeah, originally, yes. Ah. I know actually a lot of people from Harrison. Really? Yes. That's surprising, actually, considering how small it is. <laughs> well, then I probably know the whole town. Right. <laughs> I've met a couple people from Harrison that, that go here um, to University of Ozarks, and I've met a couple that have gone to, to some other universities. I, I think they, they spread out uh, yeah. across the state. See, I, the person who stands out the most that I know from Harrison is an old priest friend of mine who doesn't like to claim that he's from there. Oh, well, I can tell you from experience, a lot of people don't like to claim that they're from there, so... Oh, oh well, it happens. Some people, you know, hometowns have memories they don't like anymore. Yeah. There's a reason I moved to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I guess we could dive right into that. Good yeah. morning, Let's Let's talk about uh, how you got to where you are now. Okay. Um, well, I can give you the full... David Copperfield, I am born, I grew up speech. Or we could start with... Log cabin. Right, you know, (laughs) backwoods, campfires, all that stuff. But um, no, I I started really, like, if you're talking about the arts, um, all of that really kind of of set in with me around 10th grade um, was when I had a very, very probably the best English teacher I've ever had in my life. She was just very proactive in making sure that we had an un- not an understanding so much, but a passion for um, creative writing and, and the arts in general. And that's when I, I knew at that point in time, like I had an inclination that I wanted to make movies. Like that's what I really, initially I, I thought, well, I want to be an actor, you know, because I, I, I loved the filmmaking process. But I started writing these creative stories, these short stories in her class. And turns out like, they were actually good. I did not expect. <laughs> to, <laughs> I did not expect to find that I. I one of the, the driving things was that because they were good, made me have a passion for it. I actually loved doing it because that that payoff of people enjoying your work. And so I started because I wanted to make movies. I thought, well, what I, I have no really provisions here in Arkansas to find actors or equipment or studios or anything like that to put together a production. So I'll just write, I'll write out a screenplay, you know, I'll, I'll start doing that. And I enjoyed it. And 
lo and behold, managed to get accepted to film school when I was about 20. I waited until a little bit after high school and went to Los Angeles where I went to film school and started working as a screenwriter. And then that trans simply transitioned into novel writing. The actual, the novel that I have published at this point is, um, started off as a screenplay. So that's where that came from. So how did you move from screenplays slash film to deciding, you know, maybe you wanted to just write, write novels, write books? Well, First of all, let me say that I had absolutely no intention of ever writing prose. Like, I thought, <laughs> I do not want to do that. Because I had tried it. I'd done a lot of that in the past, you know, and I just didn't enjoy it as much. Screenplays are much more fluid. Um, a, a, an adapted sort of writing where you kind of see the action and you it's, it's much more simple and action dialogue straight to the point. Um, you don't really have a lot of all of this descriptive stuff that goes into a novel in prose. Um, but I was working on a screenplay. And I thought, this is just really more suited as a novel because it took place mostly in this guy's head. And I just kind of toyed with the idea and thought, I'll, I'll, I'll just write a few chapters. And so I did and really enjoyed it as a story. I think the driving thing there is mostly that I, I the payoff of the work. I enjoy the finished product of the work almost more so than I enjoy actually doing the work. So... When I saw that it was actually turning out to be a piece of work, a project that I enjoyed in and of itself, then that's kind of what made me realize, well, maybe maybe this is something that I want to pursue. And when it got published, then that certainly made me look toward the future of writing more novels. So, so let's let's then talk about um, publishing. So you you went out. From from Arkansas to L.A., right. uh, huge jump. You you went to film school. You suddenly decided, you know what? Let's do some books. So so, how scary was it uh, going through the process of? I can't even begin to describe how scary that was. <laughs> Mostly, uh, the scariest thing about it was investing money in it, investing money in advertising and different things like that. Because at that point in time, I was living off student loans. You know, I was a college student, so I was taking money that I had borrowed and putting it back into a book and not into my next year of school and ultimately ended up dropping out of school, which was terrifying. I, <laughs> I mean, to think at that point in time, my thought was, well, I'm going to be living on the streets in Los Angeles, but I'll have a book. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that sounds terrifying to me as a college student. Uh, <laughs> the idea of, of stopping um the the idea of the the unknown um mm -hmm. and i feel like that's a very uh it's a kind of an artist stereotype right. you know like that sort of bohemian kind yeah of. <laughs> <laughs> like moulin rouge the movie right. yeah uh it's it's just a it's one of those things that you 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 have no idea how it's going to turn out, but it's turned out pretty well for you. Um. <laughs> I like to think so. At least it's it's a building prog. I mean, it's it's something that you're always going to be working on. That I will for me, I'll always be striving to do better and striving to do the next thing, and what looking toward the future. Like, what is the future? I don't spend a lot of time worrying about p works or projects that I've done in the past. It's all about what I'm working on right now or what will be coming up. And for me, that. The work is so important to me. Like I, th that's why I was willing to take that chance and willing to invest the money in it and willing to put aside school. Um, 
I'm just, I'm so passionate about what I do that I'm willing to, I was willing to, to put everything on the line for it. And I certainly did. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's very easy to get downhearted about things when certain things don't pay off. Um, but you know, there's the measure of success is just, what, how does that saying go? Like, um, you know, a, uh, a successful man has failed more times than, than yeah, yeah, something to that effect. Uh, failed more times than someone has tried, or something like that. Yeah, I've heard that expression before, but I don't exactly know. How I don't it goes. know exactly, but right. I know exactly what you're talking about. There are always these posters in school of uh, if you failed, you're in good company, and it's got all of these different people, like um, Einstein, and all these people that right. failed several times, and then they finally got what they wanted, and. Um, uh, one thing that I'm curious about, since uh, we're kind of talking not about your your books yet, but we will. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about how you got there and how you write. Um, the there's a there's something um, Ernest Hemingway. One thing that Ernest Hemingway said when he was asked about how he writes, um, he said that he would write one perfect page a day. And the people that published his books were always demanding that he wrote more a day because it took forever to write a book if you only write a page a day. <laughs> Trust um, me, I know. <laughs> yeah. But he always wanted to make each page perfect. Would you say that you, and that's that worked out for him pretty well, but um, there were definitely different authors that, that like... Um, Fitzgerald, I'd say that he's the complete opposite of Hemingway. Um, Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> you've got Hemingway, which is kind of like a screenplay writer. Everything's to the to the point and everything's pretty much there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got Fitzgerald that's like, the water is sparkling and like the light of the heavens and blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> um, would you say that you, you want it to be perfect or are you okay with making something and then changing it, shifting it? A bit of both because 110% I'm a perfectionist mm-hmm. and I certainly do put a tremendous amount of work into every single, not just every single page, every single paragraph. I, one of the best writing teachers I ever had to me had said to me um, that writing is rewriting and everything that has ever been done, everything has been done. The difference is that everything, everything hasn't been done by you. It's been done before. You're never going to create something original but it hasn't been done in your light, in your voice. So I work very, very hard to make sure that every that I have a specific voice that goes into every word that I put on the page. And sometimes it's rewriting. I rewrote the first chapter of the book that I'm currently working on 23 times. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I can't say that I am a patient enough person to do that. Uh, so I <laughs> applaud you. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of work. Um, and I think that another stereotype about artists is that there's not a lot of work. You just kind of diddle around and right. blah, blah, blah. But that's, certainly, that's effort. Certainly our work can seem like we're just diddling around from time but to time. But you're not. <laughs> <laughs> the creative process works for different people in so many different ways. Sometimes it is pacing around the room going like like a madman pulling your hair out and drinking <laughs> whiskey. <You know? laughs> but sometimes it's it's hardcore and it's it's delving into something. And, and I've... I have a friend who writes a lot, and she, if I try to interrupt her when she's in the middle of something, it's its not going down well. No, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> no, I, I'm the same way. There's nothing, just, I have my process, but I need my privacy when I'm working. I need to shut the door and be left alone to either listen to music or kind of escape into my own mind. And one thing that I do a lot is I take walks. Like, I go on long, lengthy walks where I just think for for 
you know, hours on end. And that really does a, a lot in just kind of clearing the head and focusing strictly on whatever project I'm working on. Now, speaking of listening to music, if I'm not mistaken, in your childhood you actually were a musician playing piano and guitar, correct? Yes. Does that play into anything you do today ever? Absolutely. Um, music is probably the biggest... In- I take more inspiration from music than I do from fellow authors or fellow movies or fellow stories. Music music ultimately does tell a story, whether it's even whether it's lyrics or music just by itself, whether it's a single instrument or an entire band or choir or quartet, anything. It's, um, I like to look at everything I do as an album, as, as a piece of work telling a story from start to finish. And I, music is certainly like, I, without music, I could not write. I could not sit down and focus on what I, on any, like any project for any length of time, even if it's just writing an essay from, (laughs) from a paragraph (laughs) to a 60,000 word novel. Um, and when I need, when I, one of the things that I do when I need a break and when I need to just clear my head and sit down and relax and forget about what I'm doing is I'll just sit and play the piano and not sit and play any piece of music or read, read from a, predisposed sheet music or anything like that I'll just sit and play whatever comes into my mind just sit down and even if it's just a few chords just it it really really helps me so now the question I think becomes is there any particular style of music that you really like or that really helps you in your inspiration um I like a lot of classical it depends. It really depends on kind of what I'm writing right now, because the novel that I'm writing takes place in the '60s. I listen. I'm listening to a lot of '60s music, a lot of Janis Joplin and the Rolling Stones and things like that, um, because I like to think of myself as a method writer. I kind of put myself into that character when I'm when I'm portraying, like not really, not necessarily portraying, but since my hand, for lack of a better word, is portraying them, um, that I, I like to think that I put as much of me into them as possible. So I'm, I, if I had to say it in any other way, I'd say that I'm a method writer for sure. Ah. Well, just take a quick break really fast and to get ready to come back to actually your first book. And so to put ourselves in that mood of music and take us to a different place, we've got Dream a Little Dream of Me by the Norman LaBeouf. Enjoy. Dream of me 
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm Kathleen Mowry. And tonight on the show, we've got native Arkansan author Jason Sway. Jason, thanks so much for being on with us tonight. Thanks for having me. And now we've transitioned into the part of the show. We've talked about your time in L.A. and how you were there as a screenwriting student. Yes. Getting ready to go into film, how that eventually transitioned to actually writing a full-fledged novel. And that novel that's been published... um, Till the screaming is gone, correct? Yes. Um, tell us a bit about that. I mean, it, after reading about the synopsis, it's just... I, I'm not going to give away the plot. Okay. <laughs> I, we promised we well, wouldn't. I we'll let that. you reveal as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we want we want to leave people wanting the novel. Uh, I don't see how anyone could not want this novel. Yeah, I, it's, <laughs> it's definitely... I want to say twisted... But it's twisted in a good way because sometimes you just want to read something that's just really different. And the the title is kind of Silence of the Lambs esque, you know yeah. how in the in the end she's like, oh, I can't stop thinking about how the sheep were screaming. Like, <laughs> like that's what the title reminded me of, and it made me kind of want to like I I want to read it. One of the great things about that title was it wasn't originally called that. It was it was the book was called The Bluest Light, and the book was done. And I was toying with this title that I'd had rocking around for a long time called Till the Screaming Is Gone, and I ran it past a couple of people um, in. Los Angeles, and they freaked. They said, you cannot call your book that. No one's going to want to read that. Don't call it that. And I, I said hogwash. I said, I'm, <laughs> I am calling it till the screaming is gone. And that's, and so, that's how that happened. No, wait, what was that title? The Bluest... What? The Bluest Light. Why is that? Do, you um, say, do tell. Well, I had originally conceived that title before I started writing the book itself. And it wasn't so much that I, I didn't write the book around it, but I knew that the character 
who the main character was going to eventually try to kill himself in a swimming pool. He tries to drown himself. And that whole scene is kind of like the pinnacle turning point where there's everything is just washed in this blue light where everything kind of, and that's where the, this big scene where everything kind of changes for him. So I, I knew that I wanted that imagery in in the production of the book, in the cover, in the title, and all of that. So pretty simply, that's where that came from. I think... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, ultimately, I think Till the Screaming is Gone is a better title. That's that's where I was going with my thought. I mean, after reading into your book and, you know, thinking about that swimming pool scene, I think because of, especially the ending and that little that little twist there... That I'm not going to give away. There are twists, though. There, there <laughs> is most definitely a plot twist that you just don't see coming. Well, if you're really, really in tune, you might see it coming. There are hints throughout the book uh, don't toward, put, yeah. to the twist at the end. Don't How, put the book down if you want to catch it. <laughs> yes, they're very subtle, though. Um, and I was very um, strong-willed when it came to those kinds of things. And as... I knew that they needed to be there, and I knew that they were of vital importance. So I was very picky about what went in and what didn't, and where, how much I should reveal when and where. Um, there's actually two main characters, and when one ma- one of the main characters is talking, everything is in a different tense than when the other main character is the lead of the book. So, th- and that tense changes from chapter to chapter. Um, don't worry, it's not confusing. <laughs> so you do per- you do perspective changes? Yes, um, and that was that was on purpose. It's very subtle um, because the book is told in third person narrative. I wanted that to be prevalent because when one one of the characters is talking, everything changes to first person narrative, and I wanted it to coincide with this ba- with these two main characters as to who's telling the story. And that actually ties into the ending of the book. And because, let me just go into a little bit about the book so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, It is a journey through the neurosis of a man who's going insane. He's very wealthy. He is a director in the early 80s in Hollywood. His wife is a model. They have all of the money, all of the success, everything you could ever ask for. They have the world underneath their feet. They have a son. They build this beautiful house in Malibu overlooking the ocean that life can't get any better. And then Jesse, his wife, and his son Cullen are killed in a plane crash. And so he starts going through this process of grieving, which turns into absolute insanity. And his brother-in-law, Jeremy, who is Jesse's brother, his wife's brother, um, has a very strong secret when it comes to his relationship with James, the main character. Um, And now he has this guilt because he's very happy in some ways that he has James all to himself. And in other ways, he's dealing with the guilt of being happy about that because he's lost his sister. So when you're dealing with those two characters, James and Jeremy, I wanted a clear differentiation between who's talking and why. And that tie, and that does tie into the twist at the end, which I will not reveal. <laughs> right, right. We promise we won't either. Um, no matter how tempting it may be. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, just, it takes you. It, it's 
it's yeah i can't even give an analogy because it might ruin it um but did you when writing this book did you have this idea at the beginning were you like this is what i want to happen i just need to write it all out or did you did you play with it did it did it evolve as you write it? Yeah. Ultimately, everything evolves. It goes goes through some level of change. However, I'm a meticulous planner. <laughs> I, I am very, very... I, I like to know. I like to have a strong-willed plan, and I usually write the ending first. I, I like to know where I'm going and why I'm going there. I'm... I write full step outlines. I do what in the film world we call a beat sheet, which is every big important thing that happens in a big list. And that's one of the very first things I do when writing any story. So I have a structured plan, but I like to think that anything is subject to change because, as I said before, writing is rewriting. And I think that ultimately to make something the best that it can be, there's going to be a lot of throwing things away and putting things in. Originally, there was an entire subplot that was about another 20,000 words that was finished and in the book that I actually threw away. I threw away 20,000 words of the book before it went to the publishers So because I just didn't feel that it was necessary. So those kinds of changes, they don't really come naturally. A lot of thought goes into them, but I like things to happen in a fluid sort of way. Um, if something doesn't feel right, I am not shy about trashing it. Yeah. That's that's an an interesting perspective. The the writing the end first because that's that means you really you really had a goal, and that's that's kind of that's different than than what I've heard before. How did you um how did you get there? Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It cracks me up. He says he's a meticulous planner. So I'm picturing his little sheet of the whole plot unfolding, and I'm just seeing wife and kid dies, page 175. Or <laughs> I'm picturing a storyboard. Like there, a, Yes, absolutely. Did you actually no, do there a storyboard? Are story, I do storyboards. <laughs> I When I'm working and I have my whole setup going, I have pages of everything stuck up on walls around me and notes going on, and I write on a typewriter, actually. Yeah. Um, I have a, I find it I have a hard time concentrating staring at a computer screen. I have a computer next to me for, you know, ultimately finishing edits and different things and what's going into the finished manuscript and what's not. But to come up with ideas I write on a typewriter. So I'll have my typewriter, I'll have like two laptops, I'll have pages everywhere. I it's and I'm constantly I look like a madman probably when I'm <laughs> writing, just marking things out and throwing things away and <laughs> it's I d- I do have a meticulous plan. It's not as it's not as strong as maybe you said with, you know, page one thirty three <laughs> this happens. You know? Sorry, I was being facetious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just a, a really you 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 fit the I, I'm gonna go back to this because you you're kind of like um, you fit the the artistic like stereotype of moving to LA and and taking on like student student responsibilities and also doing writing on the side and then ultimately choosing your writing. But you also like you are a meticulous planner and you 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 you're like a real example of how how writing and how 
any other artistic profession is professional. Um, I think that's really great. I can't stop. Um. <laughs> here's, here's what my question becomes. What, what's he going to title his autobiography? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a title for my autobiography. I have planned a bit of that. Ooh. Um, it's called I Never Said I Was Innocent. <laughs> um, that I would pick that up in Barnes & Noble. I would. Um, yeah. I'd just be like, okay, let's figure this one out. That's intriguing. <laughs> um, I had a theater teacher once who decided that his memoir... His his autobiography, whatever he chose to do, was going to be titled um, "Glitter and Garbage Bags." Oh, that's fantastic! Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, I think that it's it's fun to really toy around with those things. But um, moving back to to your novel, um, what inspired this novel? What was it? Just an idea that popped in your head, or? or was there something that started this? There were multiple inspirations that kind of came together to create these characters. Um, the main character, James, in many ways is an author surrogate. Um, there's a lot of me that went into him. Um, but there's a lot of me that goes into all of my characters. And I take inspiration from the simplest little things uh, like i said before i like to take walks and i will you know nature or music or it, it sometimes in the shower like watching a bead of water go down i mean it's the weirdest little things can i'll start to think about one thing that'll lead to another that'll lead to another and i had actually created these characters long before i put them into a book um at least the main characters, James and Jeremy, I had been kind of had their personalities and their spirits rocking around for a long time. And I'd like thought, I'd like to, I'd like to do something around that. I'd like to maybe write something about this type of a character. Um, and then when it came to writing the screenplay where it started, it's because it started, I think I wrote probably about 20 pages of act one before I decided that it needed to, was better suited as a novel. And Ultimately, the idea to make him a rich and powerful director just came from my experience at film school, you know? <laughs> it was me putting my dreams into this character and being like, well, I'm going to give him everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Well, I'm not so curious as I am ready to transition. Because <laughs> I, I'm excited for his little trilogy he's working on now. But before we move on to that, I've just got to ask before we take this next break. If there's anything you could say to just, how, how do I want to say this? Um, if there's anything you could say to just trademark this book, what would it be? Oh. Big question. That's a, <laughs> yeah. That's a very big question. It's a hard one. <laughs> Put me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> I mean, who's going to pick this book up? Is mm. this, what, who's this book aimed at? I mean, obviously there's the theme of nothing is really as it seems when it comes to from one page to the next. You think everything is a certain way, but you don't. Um, it's it's not really a mystery, but I think a lot of people who enjoy mysteries would en would enjoy reading it. Um, if, you're, if, if you're asking for a catch, something, <laughs> something to um, kind of sum it up, like a tagline, I... I would say, um, don't trust your emotions. 
That's interesting. I think that 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 is almost that is just as intriguing as till the screaming is gone. <laughs> See, like this whole little conversation of this current book just makes me want to change the next song. <laughs> like I've gotten rotation. I think I might just do that actually. You know, talking about the book, it's creepy title. <laughs> it <laughs> that is. That little catchphrase of don't don't trust your emotion. Just brings me to the Tony Bennett song, Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> Excellent. And so I think we'll transition into your trilogy with Jeepers Creepers. So here it is, Jeepers Creepers by Tony Bennett. Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those peepers? Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Gosh, oh, get up, how'd they get so lit up? Gosh, oh, get up, how'd they get that size? Golly gee, when you turn those heaters on, woe is me. I gotta put my cheaters on Jeepers, creepers Where'd you get those peepers? Oh, those weepers How they hypnotize Where did you get those eyes? KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello and welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm Kathleen Mowry. And tonight on the show, we are so lucky to have native Arkansan author Jason Sway on with us tonight. Can I just say that Jason Sway is a very cool name? It's Thank the perfect you. name for an author. Yeah. It's a name you can sell. It's also <laughs> a name for like a like any sort of performer. Jason Sway. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I mean, it's not, my birth name is not Sway. That um, was actually a nickname in high school that I decided to make my pen name. That's awesome. I didn't know that was a pen name. It is, yes. That's so cool. Yeah, I just rolled with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so we're Jason Sway. We, we can't reveal his true identity. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Of course not. Um, 
we are transitioning into talking about you you've got a trilogy that you are are writing you yes. are in the in the middle of it um, i'm in the middle of the first book let's, yes let's be clear on that <laughs> so you're you're in the middle of one third of said trilogy yes. um so this trilogy how would you describe it in like in genre because this last one that we talked about was was dark was kind of kind of a mystery almost what how would you describe this this one is certainly a lot more fun there's um it's it's not as dark and foreboding as the, the my previous work um it's a bit of a nostalgia piece it takes place in 1968 and there's a lot of 1960s culture references and obviously you know fast cars drugs the the 1960s scene um of course it takes place in los angeles um because that's my home city and it's the city that i love so <laughs> i i just like to write about los angeles so i i set these characters there um i can i will reveal the title the first book is called oblivia and that is ultimately the title of the full trilogy um it is i'll kind of break it down for you you've got two sets of main characters two of them are very rich and two of them are very poor but ultimately they all end up a group of runaway misfits with nothing to their name but each other and it's there's a lot of elements of love heartbreak anger jealousy all of that you know amongst when you come with a group of four very, very close people because they do become very close friends and you're centered around a year in their lives uh, as spans the course of the first book, you're going to have all of those things, especially when you throw them into the calamity of the 1960s and the fact that two <laughs> of them have a massive drug problems and all, all of that fun stuff. <laughs> fun stuff in quotation marks. Yes. <laughs> So now you've come up with the name for the first book. Have you decided on a name for the trilogy itself yet? Yes. Ultimately, the trilogy is the same name as the first book. The whole <laughs> thing is called Oblivia. Um, the second and third books are presently called Palace Debauchery and The King of Venice Beach. So together they make up the Oblivia trilogy. Yes. So I'm, I know the word oblivion. Mm -hmm. So how did you get to choosing Oblivia? Well, it came really quite simply. Originally, the book was called The Kings of Oblivion, but I wanted a one-word title. And also, the, the word oblivion is being used quite frequently right now in arts and entertainment. There's a movie starring Tom Cruise that's been recently released. I wanted something different, but I didn't want to change the title. And I'm very... I was very much wanting a one-word title, something simple that would stick in your head. And Oblivia is actually not a word. Um, it's it, Type it in Microsoft Word, it will tell you you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, trust me, I type it every day. <laughs> uh, don't worry, it does the same thing to my last name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I wanted... It had been called The Kings of Oblivion. I wanted to simplify that and oblivia just sounded cool quite frankly it does yeah. <laughs> it, it I sounds mean, it is like catchy it does stick with you it, it kind of sounds like uh either and like a kind of a greek goddess of some sort or I put that together but yes yeah <laughs> ob oblivia 
Um, the or goddess of set oblivion. <laughs> I've been told exactly. it sounds like a fragrance. It does. I would buy that. Um, Oblivia so. by Jason Sway. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's just not sassy enough to be a nail polish name. No, no, no. <laughs> definitely, definitely a woman's perfume. Yeah. Um, and it's probably very fruity, or maybe like maybe some hints of cinnamon. I don't know. Well, if it's I mean <laughs> if it's if it's coming out and in a promotion for this book, it would probably smell like t- whiskey. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it, the the book is is a little racy, would you say? It, it's definitely yes. It's it's I with I can't I went into it with the intent of going. Uh, my thought process was I already know this is going to be controversial, so why hold back? And I haven't h- held back. I haven't held a thing back. <laughs> Good, that's that's fun, and that's uh, I think that there are lines, and that lines are put there to be crossed. It will definitely make the book. I mean, the book's already catchy as it stands Oblivion. with the plot <laughs> and with the name. But the fact that you aren't holding back makes the book so much harder to put down. I think is the right phrase I was wanting to use there. I mean, because it is edgy and you're just like, <gasps> did he really just... <laughs> did that is just this happen? Really ha- yeah. It's, it's edgy without trying to be, I like to think. Because the way that it's meant to read... Um, is very poetic. It's written in a very poetic sense, and I r- describe a lot of things in such a way that you know I'm not just going to be dropping curse words no, and different things not. every every other line. I wanted it to be classy. I wanted it to have that classy kind of classic, um, you know, beat generation kind of feel to it, like the the Allen Ginsbergs or the Jack Kerouacs or those ki- those types of authors are probably the biggest inspiration. For this style of writing, but you wanted the situations to be edgy. Oh, the absolutely, yep. and absolutely. they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that I want to uh, bring up something. We're we're not going to bring up too much because it's there. There's some twists, but you did mention that there is um, a a black magic aspect. Yes, um, basically these four characters that we come to know and love, Koi. Zeke, Mark, and Lila are taken under the wing out in the desert of this very cartoon-like character who calls himself Warhol Ramon, but no one is his. No one actually knows his true identity or, or his real name. He calls himself Warhol Ramon, and he promises them the world. He takes them under the wing. He takes them to his den of sin, which is this old sort of abandoned what was once a resort out in the middle of the desert, which was designed to basically the a subplot that's never really revealed is that this place was designed to as an escape for wealthy, famous people where they couldn't be found, <laughs> but ultimately failed because it was in the middle of the desert. They couldn't find it to begin with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a perfect place for a guy like this who has access to all kinds of crazy drugs and different things. And, Naturally, it's very easy for him to lure lure these four characters to this place because it's full of drugs, and that's <laughs> what they love. <laughs> um, but he ult- it ultimately is revealed that he practices black magic, and that Koi and Zeke are very closely connected in more ways than we realize when we start reading. I would say that, without giving away too much of any part of the plot there, that the... Zeke's role I mean you definitely said it the best I think when you said that they're closer than they think 
the role he plays in this really shapes just how it how that plot twists yes um especially as you know he is i will reveal because it's it's not really a big twist or a stretch of the imagination to know that zeke is a very rambunctious character who (laughs) (laughs) is um undergoing a lot of angst at 18 years old um with an alcoholic mother and all of those kinds of things um he is a pyromaniac. He likes to set fires. <laughs> Which we do not condone here at KUOZ. <laughs> no. <laughs> KUOZ 100.5 FM and from the concert hall do not condone. Setting fires unless it is safe and not on a building or someone else's house. <laughs> Fire pits only, folks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so he's got some issues. Um, all some, the- <laughs> some very deep rooted <laughs> issues. Yes. <laughs> so, so just to just to backtrack, backpedal a little bit. Um, they get involved with this guy who who's seemingly a nice guy. He's a stranger that offers them candy, and and he's you know a, a stranger that actually practices black magic. Um, would you? say that it was at any point like did you ever question throwing in that extra element of magic or was that something that you you really felt that that needed to be in there i very much questioned it um because originally i had conceived this story about five years ago but never saw it to fruition and that character was not even a part of the story at that point in time. Actually, it was two stories that molded into one because Zeke and Lila were part of a different story, which I actually wrote when I was in film school. It was a short screenplay that I wrote. And um, Coy and, and Mark were part of the story that I had originally envisioned. Warhol is loosely based on a combination of a person who I know personally and Aleister Crowley. And... <laughs> He is sort of there are bits he's he's a bit of an allegory for the devil in in certain ways. <laughs> um, so when it came into throwing in that huge wrench in the machine, it was uh, that's that's a very nerve-wracking thing to do because ultimately the story had a very different ending and a very different most of the same things happened but the key elements of the plot were very different. But once I started putting him into the mix, it just made perfect sense. Everything kind of went from being two stories that kind of worked together and some cool things that happened to some cool characters to being a real, very deeply, I don't want to say prolific because I'm not, <laughs> I don't think of myself that highly, but <laughs> but uh, it, it just seemed to work. And that's, that's what ultimately made me decide, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And I couldn't be more happier with it. Thank you for moving along so great. And then all of a sudden, ooh, let's throw in some, ma- some black magic and some hoodoo. <laughs> I mean, you just... I've got to ask, is his black magic hoodoo or is it voodoo? It's... Um, <laughs> some of it is his own breed, actually. He's, in, he's very much invented his own things, but it's definitely voodoo. That's, that's just such a... Uh, I, I like to how say you... those words. <laughs> <laughs> hoodoo, voodoo. I, I think it's... I think I really like how you said he's an he's an allegory for the devil. Um, that's a that's a pretty strong 
strong stance to take on a character and and that's um i think that with all the drugs and the uh the right. craziness and the the you described it earlier when we were talking you described his his little palace as like a a palace of sin yes um that's just i think you couldn't have put it any better <laughs> well and ultimately in the same in the same aspect or as the devil He's very charming initially and very enticing and it's very easy to take his hand and follow him along because he promises all these wonderful things and then one yeah, thing be... after another, things get darker and darker. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the tagline there, kids, is don't fall to peer pressure. Don't do <laughs> drugs and don't set fires. <laughs> yeah, this is... Rules for this, life. I think this novel could become a tagline for don't do this, kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there actually was um, an early tagline in an early um, pre-mock-up of, the, of a book cover that my writing partner and I put together, um, who is not a partner in, in the creation, uh, in, in, in writing the book, but is a consultant. Um, and the tagline was originally, where do you go when the screaming stops? <laughs> That's interesting play off the first book. Right. Yeah. That Oh man, that's that sounds so much more eerie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does, but at the same time it I don't think this book should really follow the others. And that yes, right. it's the same author, but the people and the plots are two totally different things. Which is why that was that was an early sort of pre-mock-up that will never never actually come to fruition i don't believe but uh some cool things like that you know i'd like to think that one day will be somebody will want them (laughs) (laughs) who knows well we're gonna take one more break before we get ready to end the show tonight and to play us into that break and get ready for that transition is the andrews sisters singing boogie woogie bugle boy enjoy Boy, 
Put some boys to sleep with Boogie every night And wakes them up the same way in the early bright They clap their hands and stamp their feet Because they know how he plays when someone gives him a beat He really breaks it up when he plays heavily He's a boogie woogie beautiful boy of company KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello and welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm Kathleen Mowry. And tonight on From the Concert Hall, we have been so privileged to have native Arkansan author Jason Sway in with us. Jason so, Sway. Very, very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you might want to go in closer to the mic. I don't think the world's heard that. <laughs> I'll say it a little louder next time. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for that compliment. It's always great to have guests in. And actually, you're the last guest of season one. I, I know. We've got one more show, Kathleen. The party's over. <laughs> it's. I'm going to cry. No, you're not. I'm not going to cry, so you're not going to cry. Um, we're going to get off this topic completely. <laughs> yeah. Yep, um, uh, <laughs> okay, so we talked the about the first book of your Oblivious series. Yes. Um. So let's just just touch on a little bit the next two books okay um hopefully avoiding any any spoilers right (laughs) um i can reveal some very limited basics um because most of what's going to happen in book two is contingent upon the end of book one and I can't exactly reveal that at this so point. So if okay. you could give a, a word to describe it, and then we'll we'll wrap up. <laughs> but just, just one word to describe the, the feeling. Because um, you described the first one as fun. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the, the next two? Fear. Ooh. Um, absolutely. Because you have no idea where everything is going to end up. Um, first of all, the in, the first book takes place between 1968 and 1969. Now, by the time the second book rolls up, they have, as you you know already about Palace Debauchery, which is where they're at, um, the second book, most of which takes place there in 1972. So they've had a few years there with all of this calamity going on, all of this drug use, all of this character of Warhol Ramon that we discussed. Um, and basically, there's a lot of tension in book two. There's a lot of fighting amongst themselves as to where things are going in their lives and what they're doing here and why they're listening to this guy and all of this different stuff. There's definite strong elements of love. Love is the coherent theme of all three books, and that's something that I want to be very forward, especially in the final book when everything is wrapped up. I want it to be very prominent that from the from the beginning the core root of these characters was their love for each other. All right. Well, if there if if that wasn't a great way to describe a book without giving any spoilers, I can't 
I can't think of a better way. Um, Do we... I know this is something Dr. Marlowe said. We should never ask an author because you really never know unless you're just that monotonous with your books. Like someone like James Patterson probably would be. Is there an expected date when we'll see this on the shelves? (laughs) I would like to say that there is a definite date that I could give you. I can't give you an exact date, but I can tell you that I am doing everything within my power to have it finished by the end of the year. Okay. Wow. And just for our listeners out there, where can they find your current book? Any major bookstore. Um, if you if you shop online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I believe Books a Million still has it. There was a time when they didn't, um, but I know for a fact Barnes and Noble and Amazon at sixteen dollars. Ooh, it's not bad at all, folks. No way. I'm so. down for that. Remember to search there, and do you have a website where they can contact you? I do. Maybe even find, buy a book there? I don't know. You can. www.jason-sway.com. There you have it, folks. Maybe you can even buy his fragrance, Oblivia. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually I'm just thing. kidding. Just a warning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you won't find it there, but you can email me through that website, or there are links to buy, my, to buy the, pre, the current book. There is biographies and synopses and those kinds of things available there. That's wonderful. Thanks again so much for being on the show tonight with us. Thank it's you for been having me. It's been an absolute pleasure having you in. It was, it's always great to interview a, a native Arkansan. And it's great to have someone like you as our last guest for the season. I've really enjoyed being here. I'm kind of sad that it's ending. <laughs> Shh, it's not you. ending. <laughs> if only you knew. <laughs> Okay. Well, take us away, Corbin. Of course, of course. Well, to end the show for tonight, I'd just like to remind everyone you can find us on Facebook and figure out what's going on with the show each week at www.facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. You can also find us on Twitter at FTCH underscore KUOZ. And because radio can have a face, we're also on Instagram at KUOZ Concert Hall. And if all of that just won't do it for you, you can reach us by email at fromtheconcerthallradio at gmail.com. We would also like to send a special congratulations to Dr. Dave Daly for winning our t-shirt competition. He received a shirt this week, and he sent his thanks to the show. And, you know, just to remind everyone listening out there, we still have one more giveaway this year. We're giving away Dr. Greta Marlowe's books. So remember to like the Facebook page, and you can find them there. And we'll be giving those away on Tuesday, which will be our last show. But to play us out, play us out into the night, we have Down South Camp Meeting by Benny Goodman and his band. Enjoy, and have a great night, everybody.